1: When it comes to ruling and reigning over our homes, nothing says proper rule and reign like a godly father, as we'll see next on Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. (laughs) Acting Like a Father That is the title of our message today as we turn to Luke chapter 15 here on Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard from Valley Bible Church in Hercules. If you want a classic illustration of how a father should treat his child, you look no further than Luke 15. God the Father himself gives us a marvelous illustration of what he feels like and acts towards his children. With this illustration, here's Pastor Phil Howard and today's broadcast of Truth For Today.
2: We want to look at a marvelous, marvelous passage in Luke 15. It's about the Father's heart, what God's all about. I think familiarity with Scripture often deadens us to finding out what it means. You think you know what chapter 15 means many times. You hear of the prodigal son and the lost sheep, these type things. We already jumped to conclusions of what it means. And I want us to look at it again, and I trust it to be fresh to you. Jesus begins to tell three stories in this chapter because he's responding, responding to the accusation of the religious leaders of his day about the company he keeps. Notice what it says, verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Now to eat with someone in that culture meant to have fellowship with. And who does he meet with? Tax collectors. Now this isn't the IRS as you know it. Tax collectors were those who were greedy, crooked, uh, They were disloyal, dishonest, disreputable. Uh, They were crooks. They were a hated category of people because they not only were commissioned by Rome to collect taxes, but Rome says you can get all that you can beyond that. It's up to you. And so they were known crooks. They were known dishonest people. And so Jesus is eating with them and running around with them commonly. A bad, bad resume report to say who you keep company with, especially when you claim to be God. Besides that, he said he ran with sinners, and the uh, Jews had a word. They were the Aritz. They were the people of the land. Uh, the common folks, soiled, irreligious, vulgarity, not ceremonially clean. You don't have any Pharisees coming out of these families. These are the people of the land, of the earth. And they were kind of considered the dirt people. And so Christ is being seen with them. And so to respond to the Pharisees' accusation of, Why are you with such people? What does a religious teacher have in common? He begins to give them three stories. We're going to look at that. that concerns the prodigal son. But the first story, he talks about a man whose sheep got lost. And he leaves the 99 and he goes out and he finds the one sheep and he has a party. They rejoice about it. And Jesus just picks up on that and he says in verse 7, I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Well, what do you expect a sheep to do? When you're that dumb, you get lost easy. And then he goes on to a coin. The coin didn't get lost on his own. Somebody else lost the coin. And so he starts telling the story about the woman who searches, and this was no ordinary coin. It's believed to be like an engagement ring. But she lost it. She searches. She finds. She rejoices. And Jesus, once again in verse 10, says, In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents? You don't object to a shepherd rejoicing. You don't object to a woman rejoicing over a coin. And now he goes to the highest level of pathos in the story the story that no one can understand it any better than parents. He starts talking about a parent, a father, whose son decided to leave him. Now, the sheep get, got lost because it's dumb. The coin got lost because the woman wasn't careful, but the boy gets lost because he's a rebel. He chose to be lost. He chose to walk out on the father. There's no excuse for what the son does. A.W. Tozer said something about God. In One of his books called The Knowledge of the Holy, he made this profound statement. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. When I ask you to picture God in your mind, whatever that comes out, whatever you think of, whatever concept, that's probably, according to Tozer, the most important thing about you. But when you think about God, some people would maybe think of the right answers in a catechism class. They think of the right answers in Sunday school. It might be a litany list of all the knowledge they have. I'm orthodox. I'm correct. But Jesus is talking to a very orthodox group of Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, and he wants to tell them, you don't know the heart of God. You don't understand what makes God happy. You don't understand what makes God party in the third heaven. Because God isn't interested as much in Sabbath-keeping and rule-keeping as our attitude towards people. Because God loves people, even rebellious people. And so he started to tell them a story of how God feels about people, and he tells the story of the prodigal. There's an ancient uh, story that tells about a disciple that came to a rabbi and says, I want to be your disciple, I want to be your follower. And the reply came, do you know what hurts me and gives me pain? The reply was, no, sir, I don't think so. Then how can you say you love me if you don't know what hurts me? And how can we say we know a God when we don't know what makes his heart pain? And we don't know what makes his heart glad. How can we know such a God? And we're going to see that this parable is really the parable, as G. Campbell Morgan said, it's the parable of the Father's heart. It's not about the boy at all. It's about the father. There's no heroes in the story but the father. Let's begin to find out and see what a prodigal son looks like. Verse 11. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them, the older and the younger. This is an astonishing thing. I have a quote by a scholar by the name of Bailey who said in all of literature of this time, there is not one story that ever records a son requesting his inheritance. Think of it. You're a 55-year-old man, and you take a 30-year-old son somewhere, and on the way, the boy says, Dad, when are you going to divvy up my inheritance? Thanks. It's good to know that you love me. Or if he said it in these terms, Dad, hurry up and die. I'd like to get my inheritance. That this seems to be almost the the power of the insult here. It's almost saying, Dad, I wish you would die because I'm more in love with your resources than I am you. I'm a rebel. I want a Corvette, I want a Visa card, I want to be cool and I want to do it on your money and I don't really give a hoot about you. Get the setting. The younger son is a rebel and thankless and he insults his father to no end. We don't get it in the text because we don't know the understanding of what he's really saying. He's saying, I want the wealth, I don't care if you live or not. And the dad complies, enters into financial arrangements, he splits the wealth, two-thirds goes to the older son, as Hebrew law demanded, one-third to the younger. Now the father can distribute all the inheritance and still remain in control while he was alive. But he's already made the arrangement, the younger cashes out, gets his money, takes off. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, And there he squandered his wealth in wild living. After he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine. A severe famine in that land, that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He's obviously among the Gentiles, the pigs. You don't do that too good around the Jews. So he has gone to a far country where you get away from all the religious roots, get away from his dad's religion, go to the abominable place of the pigs. He's wasted all of his substance. And he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. This young man, the most noble thing he ever did was said, I am a sinner. I'm to blame. I'm willing to be nothing. But the thing that really drives this boy home is not nobility, it's his need. His need. He began to be hungry. He began to be in want. And when he began to run out of resources, he began to think of dad and home and three square meals and iron clothes. Home starts looking good, you know, when you get away and you're broke. Any mom and dad can look good. But there's nothing noble about the boy coming home. The nobility is the father's. It is amazing how many people uh, only think of God. They don't love God any more than they love their dentist. I don't run with many dentists, but I sure want a dentist's phone number when I'm hurting. Do you know what I'm saying? Kind of like a lot of people feel that way about preachers. That they're kind of a lousy lot until you need help. So this boy, by need, need grips him. Need gets a hold of him. Eating with hogs. What a story that I would think would be gut-wrenching to the people of that era hearing it. C.S. Lewis wrote a great book called Four Loves. And in that book, he discusses storké love, family love, phileo love, friendship love, eros, physical love, agape, the highest kind of love, sacrificial love. And in his thesis, as he develops that book, he writes of the various kinds of love there is in this world. And he said, most of us operate off of need love. We we love those who meet our needs. It's like the love of the child for the mother, when they're dependent for everything. You need the mother for nurturing. You need the mother for changing. You need the mother for everything. And so it says, I love you, mommy. Oh, that's wonderful. And a mother's heart leaps for joy. But then she turns around and says, I need you. You're not that, I love you. And it's a gift, love, because you're taking all my energy and strength. It's costing me a lot more to love you than it's costing you to love me. Because the child has need love, the parent usually has gift love. You see these stories over and over of a couple that have got all the maybe wealth they need, all the money, and there's a void in their heart. They want a baby. They want a child. In moments of insanity, those types of things. And then they get this child, and you can just see them. It doesn't matter that things are strewn all over, and things that used to have value have gone down in value, and things that were heirlooms are now has-beens. You know, you just buy into it, because you know to have children requires gift kind of love. And what you see in this marvelous story is the father has gift love. He doesn't really need the boy. He wants him. The boy didn't make him any money, he cost him money. The boy didn't make him sleep better, the boy cost him many nights of sleep. The boy brought nothing of virtue to the dad and cost the dad everything. You see, it's sort of like you and I. We came to Jesus Christ in our need, in our darkness, in our desperation, in our poverty, in our want, and the gnawing of our soul, nothing met our need. And we came to Jesus, not to pay him a favor, but to say, clean me up, fill me up, change me, change my direction. And God says, it's going to cost me everything to love you. It's going to cost my son on the cross. It's going to cost my patience. It's going to cost, you're going to be asking prayers for the next 50 years for me to supply your needs, and I'm signing up. Because I don't neglect to hear my children when they cry. I'll take on your needs for the rest of your life. Because I have a gift kind of love. The most noble love in the world is when you give somebody something, not because you need them, but because you want to give them a gift. That's why the most blessed thing you'll ever do in life is give. Hear me, hear me. The most blessed thing you'll ever do as a human being is give something. I don't care if it's an offering, your body, your kids, there is no fulfillment in getting. The greatest fulfilled people in the world imitate God who got everything at the cost of giving everything. Jesus says the man who retains his life will lose it. The man who gives it will find it. So the young man is a rebel. He's a taker. He's a loser. He's a disgrace. We shouldn't be too preoccupied with him. He's a reminder of us. We are takers with God. We need, we need, we need. But watch when the son comes to his mind and says, I need to get back where I can get something I've lost. And he comes back. Notice what his father is doing. Notice. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. And I ask myself, how do I see anybody away off? I don't see them by casually looking down. You know, every once in a while someone passes through the uh, foyer back there. I don't know who they are. They just pass. I'm looking at you. But if I really wanted to see someone was coming through that door, it'd be a fixed gaze. It would be an anticipation. So this dad is seen by Jesus, one who daily looked down the path, the same path the boy left, and he's gazing, and he saw him a long way off, matted hair, pig slop all over the boy of the father. A boy who came from Noble kind of rearing. He's seizing, emaciated, filthy, stinking, maybe walking with a limp, maybe have lost 30 pounds. Because they probably sell drugs down there too. And it wastes your body and your face and your looks. You see, the boy came home ugly. Sin will make you ugly. The best way to stay good looking is to stay out of sin. Salvation beautifies the meek. You see someone like Willie Nelson, he didn't get it by going to church. (laughs) He's been on too many roads again. (laughs) Too many bars again. And too many fights again. Sin carves its marks in our face. I've seen young ladies, I knew when they became promiscuous, because their face changed. There's a hardness that comes in that Innocent vulnerability has a softness about it. Sin, you're catty, you're cool, you're slick, and you're hard, and you're getting ugly. Sin will waste your youth, your substance, your beauty, and it will alienate you from a father's love. But the old man, he saw the boy way down, and he looked, he didn't catch him off guard, Because it's like a parent every night when that child goes out, especially when they get a driver's license. And especially when they start dating. And especially when you're raising girls. Sign up, Neville. I know. You're looking. And if you're not, you have a paranoid wife that is, that won't go to sleep until they get home. The teen years ruined sleep in my house, but I managed Because you care. You're looking. You can't wait until that car pulls up in the driveway. And here they're looking. And this father who should have written the boy off and says, I'll never be concerned again, has a daily vigil, no doubt, of looking with a fixed gaze so he could see this boy. And then he does something that must have shocked the hearers in Christ's day. He was filled with criticism for him. Is that what church says? Maybe you should have ran out there with a bill. Let's go over what you've cost me. You know, you took the car. You've been gone so long. I've lost labor. Let me get in a few licks. I'll take you back, but not until I tell you off. Just so we're friends again. None of that. Remember, he's describing God ultimately. When you came to God, did he criticize you for your rebellion and sin? Or did he show compassion? Moved, and he did something astounding. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. For years, I just read that and glanced over it, never any impact. I was studying it one time, and it told how that in this day and time, no one of age or dignity ran. It was kind of hard to run in those long garments, but running was for youth. It wasn't for age. Uh, It wasn't for those in Positions of authority. You didn't run. The queen doesn't run. The king doesn't run. Prophets don't run. Dads don't run. The boys do the running. But who's running here? The dad. He broke all protocol. In abandonment he runs to embrace the soiled son. He's more willing for the reconciliation than the boy was. Hear me well, hear me well. Pride is an enemy to reconciliation. When you're proud, you can't forgive. When you're proud, you can't run. When you're proud, you won't run to the rebel. You'll just posture yourself, I'm not giving an inch. I've been right, I've always been right, and I won't let them know I've never been anything but right. And yet this is God running. When you came to Christ, I want you to know God came a lot further than you ever came. You came inches. He left a throne and went to a manger. And from a manger to a garden, and from a garden to a cross, and from a cross back to the third heaven. God's gone a lot further than you ever gone to have a relationship. He's put up with all the putting up. This is the humility of God that would save His rebellious race.
1: And this is Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard, the ministry of Valley Bible Church here in Hercules. I'd like to leave you with our address, phone number, and web address in case you would like to contact us for whatever reason, whether it's a copy of today's program, a question concerning the broadcast, or your own relationship with Christ, or a prayer request. We would love to hear from you. And if you would like to partner with us financially to ensure that this broadcast remains on this radio station, again, we would be ever so grateful. No gift is too small. No gift too large. So here are the various ways you can reach out to us. The easiest, of course, by phone. That number is 855-833-9864. That's 855-833-9864. Or stop by our website, truthfortodayradio.org. And then, of course, as always, you can write to us. The address is 1511 M. Sycamore Avenue, Suite 278, Hercules, California, 94547. And then men mark it on your calendar March 8th and 9th it is our men's conference Walking to Win keynote speakers are our own Pastor Phil Howard and Pastor Jesse Gastand from Grace Bible Church in Hayward also the host of the radio program Way of Grace Now it is a Friday evening Saturday day conference and the price $50 and 35 respectively will include dinner Friday evening and breakfast and lunch Saturday. If you have a desire to grow in grace, men, and find other men who are on the same walk and journey in Christ, we would invite you to join us. should prove to be a rather fascinating, insightful, and very encouraging conference. Again, that's March 8th and 9th. Mark it on your calendar. Contact us and plan on joining us. The phone number, once again, is 855 833 9864 or simply stop by our website truthfortodayradio.org and then come back and join us next time for another broadcast of Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard.